So we're doing a series about gaining wisdom in an age and in a world of such information that is thrown at us at every angle. You can get on Google in an instant and get an answer to something even if it's not the right answer. But you don't have to go to the library anymore. You don't have to search for anything. We were up with our baby Jonas in the middle of the night last week and I could Google search in two seconds, how do I sleep train this kid? <laughs> because information is at our fingertips, but information and knowledge is not the same as wisdom. And it's important in our lives and in our everyday life that we are really seeking godly wisdom, godly counsel for the decisions that we have to make. So today I wanna talk to you about a subject that I'm pretty sure all of us need some wisdom in at some point or another in our lives, and that subject is the subject of fear, fear. You see, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. So we're gonna do an all skate, an all participation activity right now, and I want you to lean over to your neighbor and very quietly let your neighbor know what you're afraid of. Ready, go. Go ahead, you can talk in church. What are you afraid of? It can be big, it can be little. Fear is fear. Okay, now turn to your save the best for last choice and let them know what you're afraid of. You're not talking as much. Don't, don't leave your neighbor alone. All right, so I can't, I can't hear any specifics, but I can hear a lot of chatter which tells me 100% in this room that we all deal with fear in some form or fashion. Now, an extreme fear is called a phobia. A phobia is an irrational fear of something that's unlikely to cause harm. The word itself comes from the Greek word phobos, which means fear or horror. Now, I'm gonna get a little word girl on you this morning and teach you how to create a phobia type of word. There is an unlimited amount of fears in the world. There isn't a list that they can make because it's constantly changing because fears are constantly being added to it. So what they do is you take the Greek form of the word that makes you afraid and you add it to the Greek form of fear, which is phobia, they put that together and that is what gives us the fear of whatever it is that you're afraid of. Does that make sense? Yes, so like arachnophobia is the fear of what? Spiders, okay? So the arach prefix is the spider form in Greek. Arachnophobia is, what is the, who, where's my science people? Like spiders in science is arachna? You are so smart, what they said. So. That's the Greek form of spider. So you put it together and that's how you find out your fear. Now here's some common fears that you probably have or have heard of. Aerophobia, fear of flying. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Astrophobia, fear of thunder and lightning. Autophobia, fear of being alone. Claustrophobia, fear of what? Small spaces being confined. Hemophobia, fear of blood, very good. Hydrophobia. Fear of water. Ophidiophobia. Somebody whispered it, I think, because they were here earlier. Listen to me, you need to know this phobia. Ophidiophobia is the fear of snakes. <laughs> Please tell me in this room that there are at least a few of you that are afraid of snakes. Raise your hand. Thank you. If you're not, what is wrong with you? 
Daniel was cleaning out the pool a couple days ago and I saw him over on the sideline like chopping off something with, with the filter of the pool. And he doesn't even tell me what it is now because he knows I will not get in the pool if there is snake things happening. So a, fo a photo, ophidio, I don't even want to say its name. Ophidiophobia, fear of snakes. All right, and then zoophobia, what do you think? Fear of animals, that's an easy one. Now here's some unusual phobias. Electorophobia. Have you heard of it? Electorophobia. People, this is a fear of chickens. <laughs> what is the problem? Fear of chickens. All right. Onomatophobia. Onomatophobia. Fear of names. Some people are scared of their name, I guess. I don't know. Nephophobia. Fear of clouds. Cryophobia. Fear of cold, very good. Fear of ice, fear of cold. And then this is my very favorite discovery in my entire life. Pogonophobia. Pogonophobia. It is a fear of beards. <laughs> beards. Guys, some of you need to shave your face because you are freaking people out. <laughs> they are so afraid of you, they've created a phobia. Pogonophobia, fear of beards. I've discovered over the last few years that I have a phobia. My phobia is acrophobia. Any guesses what that is? Think acrobats. Fear of heights. So my husband and I took our oldest kids to Mexico a couple years ago, and my husband thought it would be a great idea if we took our big kids on a grand adventure. Now this adventure consisted of ziplining across the rainforest of Mexico. Now at the time, I didn't realize that I had an issue called acrophobia, but I quickly discovered that I did. Not only was it ziplining across the rainforest, but it was also walking along a high wire from a tree, two very good trees, high in the sky, that we chose to walk across. There was also a mountain rock in the middle of this forest that we chose to go from the top of down with just a rope to hold us. Then this one was probably the one that definitely put me over the edge. At the top of one of those high trees was a platform. Willingly, you were to jump off that platform and swing like Tarzan through the rainforests of Mexico. This was the best day ever for my kids and my husband. That was not the case for me. I was sweating profusely. My heart was palpitating. I was confident that I was going to fall to my death, never to return. But here's the deal, I was gonna be the cool mom. My kids were not gonna tell me that I was not fun or adventurous or the best mom ever, so I pushed past my fear of heights to not miss that moment with them. You know, we still laugh about the stories that came about from that trip, one of which was me standing on that platform, and the guy literally had to push me off, <laughs> shove me off the platform so that I could get to the ground as I swung like a crazy Tarzan lady. <laughs> but if I had chosen to give in to my fear that day, I wouldn't have those memories and those moments with my kids. You know, the scripture talks about kairos moments. Kairos moments are those moments that are fleeting. They're here one day and gone the next. They're a moment that maybe only lasts for a minute. And if we allow fear in our life to control us, we will miss those moments that God wants to use in our lives, not only that we would be fully alive in him, but that we would also be used for his glory in the world.
Now there's a lot of therapies and treatments to help with phobias. Thankfully there is, because some of us are so crippled by fear that we just need some outside help. So today we're gonna do a little fear therapy, but we're gonna go to God's word, because God's word has the best wisdom for us, and fear not is one of the greatest commandments in the Bible. So clearly God knew that we would have an issue with fear, and he wants to speak into it, into our lives today. Now when you came in this morning, I know you got a welcome guide. You get it every Sunday. There's a white spot up here that says the word notes. If you're not sure what that means, I want to tell you. We want you to use it to write some things down, write some truths down. You are very smart people, but there is no way you can remember everything that God's put on my heart to share with you today. So we want you to take notes, to put it in a place that you can go to. So when you face fear in your life, you can say to that fear, no more, you're not welcome here. I have a newfound freedom and I'm moving forward. So we're gonna look at a few Bible characters this morning, a few common fears that you and I face potentially on a daily basis. We're gonna look to the word of God and see how some of the people in the Bible also dealt with fear and how they handled it. First character today is Hannah. Hannah is an Old Testament Bible character. Hannah is married to Elkanah, and Elkanah has two wives, Hannah and Panina. Now, sister wives was not God's design. You need to know that. But back in this time, it was a very common practice. So Elkanah had Hannah and Panina. Now, these two women had something in common that were very different from one another. So that they had something so extreme and different from one another that it was debilitating to Hannah. You see, Hannah was unable to bear children. And Panina was not only able to bear children, but she had multiple children. Every year, this family would travel to the temple to offer sacrifice to God. And every year on this journey, Panina would pick at Hannah and make fun of Hannah for the fact that she could not have children and Panina could. So every year on this journey, Hannah would cry. She would go so far as to not even eat because she was so distraught and she was so grieved with something in her life that she wanted so badly that was not happening. She possibly had that fear that she was never going to be a mother. So one of the times they get to the temple, Hannah decides she's gonna go inside and she's gonna pray to God. So she goes inside the temple and she begins to pray. And the priest Eli is standing outside of the temple where he normally would be standing and he observes Hannah praying to the Lord. So this is where we're gonna pick up in scripture. If you have your Bibles today, we're gonna look at 1 Samuel chapter one, verses 12 through 16. If not, it's gonna be up on the screen for you. So it says, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and my great grief. I just wanna insert for a minute today that when you come in here on a Sunday morning, you may observe 
men and women worship in a way that's maybe a little outside your own comfort zone or maybe different from the way that you worship. Don't, don't lessen that because you don't know their story. You don't know the posture that they are worshiping from. You don't know the cries of their heart that they are giving to the Lord and saying, I can only trust you. You don't know the things that God has brought them through that they can't help but dance, maybe be a little loud, maybe give praise a little louder than you might. But let them worship in the way that, that they know because it's their story. So Hannah goes in, she begins to pray, Eli observes her, and he thinks that she is drunk. Our first fear today is this, the fear of being misunderstood. You see, Hannah was at a place of desperation in her life where she was crying out to God, and someone without context came in and misunderstood the situation. I'm confident today that some of us have put a stop to something in our lives that we really feel like God has led us to or leading us to, but we just don't move any further because we're so afraid of being misunderstood. We're so afraid of what, what people might say or what someone might post or, oh, there he goes again, making those dreams, making those plans, there she goes again, saying her kids are gonna go to college. Whatever it may be, we have a fear of being misunderstood so we do not step out. To take this a step further, I would say this, we have a fear of man. We have a fear of man because we're so crippled with what other people may say or think about us. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. Another version says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. It'll prove to be a trap. It'll trap you in your everyday motion over and over and over if you allow it to keep you bondaged. Now there are times in your life where it is extremely important for you to seek wisdom. That's exactly why we have this series for you. Because you need to hear the wisdom of God's word, but you also need to seek and seek out and hear the wisdom of other people who maybe have gone before you and have a little more experience. In this current season of our lives, we are seeking wisdom at all angles in the world of parenting. Last November, we adopted baby Jonas, and our family quickly went from Floyd party of five to Floyd circus of six. It is total chaos in our house. It's a circus, but a circus is pretty fun. It's just very unknown and very weird at times. But we, we need to seek out parents that we observe, that we admire, that we see, you know what? I want my kids to turn out that's a little bit like their kids, not, not exactly, because every child has a different calling, but like they, they're still involved in church. They still love Jesus. They still respect their mom and dad. Like we want that for our children. I need a mom to teach me how to be out in public with my little toddler and not drag her through the store as I'm spanking her on the way. <laughs> I need somebody to give me some wisdom. So here's a few things that I think about. When I'm considering asking someone for wisdom, these are a few things. First of all, do they have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's gotta be first and foremost. Not do they come to church occasionally or do they have a Bible in their house, but do they have a real authentic love relationship with Jesus? Not just a nice person, 
not just someone who's knowledgeable in the information that you need, but you need somebody who, who loves the Lord and can help you in that decision making. Secondly is this, how much equity does this individual have in my life? For me, does this person even know how many kids I have or what my children's names are? You know, Facebook, Instagram, social media, those are not your friends, those are your followers. Those are not the ones that you should be taking advice from, ever. Maybe if you wanna private message them, but you better know who they are before you start getting advice. Another thought, do they always tell me what I wanna hear? If you're seeking wisdom from somebody that you know is gonna tell you, oh yeah, you should totally do that, that is the best decision you would ever make. <laughs> you might wanna reconsider. You need people in your life that are gonna shoot it to you straight. Like, no, that is dumb. That is a very poor decision that you think is smart at this time in your life or in this season of your life. Don't do that. I see harm in the future of that decision. You need people in your life that are gonna be honest with you, even if you don't like it. And then finally, do they have my best interest in mind or the vision God has for my life in mind? You need people in your life that aren't just gonna tell you what they feel like you should hear for the best interest of you, but for the calling that God has placed upon your life. You know, it's easy to spot out the haters, right? It's easy to spot out the haters in your life. Those are the people that you know they're gonna talk bad about you. You know they're gonna talk behind your back. You know they've said things about your kids. You know they've said things about you at the water cooler at work. Whatever it may be, the haters are easy to spot out, but you also need to be really cautious about the lovers because the lovers in your life can also keep you from God's purpose. You know, when Daniel and I were dating, we'd been dating for two years and we both lived in Virginia and God had called Daniel to New York City to serve at a church with his very best friend. Daniel was gonna be the student pastor and associate pastor and at that time, God had very clearly opened a door for me in Virginia to work for a missions organization. And in this organization, we would raise over a million Bibles for China for the underground churches. And we got to travel all over the country and bring awareness to the needs overseas. And so we were going to be facing a long distance relationship. And at two years, we were pretty confident that we were gonna marry each other, but at that point, we weren't yet engaged. So Daniel moved, and shortly after the move, my mom and I went to lunch one day, and I knew my mom was upset. You know when your mom's upset? There's just that thing. So I was like, Mom, what's going on? Like, have I done something? Like, what, you know, what's the deal? And she said, I just feel like you and Daniel should have gotten married before he moved to New York so you could start this new chapter together and, and all these things. And you know what? She had my best interest at heart. It was a mom thing to say, I see how hard this is for the two of you. I see how difficult it is. It was out of the love of her heart that she felt like this should have happened. But I knew in that season of my life that God had called me to this mission field. And it was something that probably I wouldn't be able to do once I was married. And this year of, of that life really marked me for who I am today. We got to see so many people, children saved from the streets and the slums, and we did get to raise those million Bibles for China. And I'm afraid that if I had not said yes to that, that I would have missed out on the impact that I was able to be a part of. 
You see, my mom had my best interests at heart and it was out of love for me that she wished something had been different, but it was out of that love that may have potentially kept me from what God had placed in front of me. Also, my mom didn't know the full story, just like Eli, the priest, he didn't know the full story. You see, three weeks later, Daniel would come and ask me to marry him, we would be engaged. My mom had no clue because Daniel had asked my dad for my hand in marriage, but my dad told Daniel, don't tell Janice. <laughs> because they're very close, Tammy and Janice, and I'm afraid, I'm afraid that she might slip up. So let's just keep this between us. So my mom did not find out until the surprise engagement party when I had the ring on it. I look over at my mother and she is giving my dad that look. You know what look I'm talking about. I know she's forgiven my dad, but sometimes I wonder, because she still brings it up. But regardless of that, you've just gotta be careful. Be careful about the obvious people in your life that don't like you, but also be careful about those who really do love you and care about you. Make sure, make sure that they are speaking into the vision and the calling that God has in your life. You know, Hannah had an opportunity to tell the priest that day why she was grieving and crying and seeking out to the God of her creator, the creator of her God, to say, you know what, Lord, I need this in my life. I want this in my life. I'm hurting so badly. And so the priest Eli, once he heard the why, he said, he blessed her and he said, may God grant you that which your heart desires. And shortly after that, Hannah would give birth to a son and she would name him Samuel. So even though she may have been misunderstood whether she knew it or not. She obviously didn't because she didn't know Eli was watching her. She took the word that Eli had said. She left the temple that day. She stopped her crying. She began to eat and she believed in the word that was given to her and God did give her her miracle. That same God is true for you today. Whatever miracle in your life it is that you need, he wants to hear you and he wants you to be honest with him and he wants to answer your prayer. All right, the next character we're gonna look at is Peter. I like Peter. Peter's got some stuff. Here's a, run, here's a quick rundown of Peter. Peter was a water walking, ear chopping, Jesus loving, Jesus denying, shame feeling, failure running, forgiveness receiving, faith restored, fisher of fish turned fisher of men, church building, water baptizing, in Jesus' top three kind of guy. Peter was all over the place. He was a hot, hot mess. Anybody relate? Right? Scholars believe that Peter was in Jesus' top three because Peter, James, and John needed the most work. <laughs> Once Jesus brought in his disciples, the 12, he looked at those three and he's like, you gotta stay close to me. We gotta work on you, right? So Peter would make a decision in his life that would probably cause him to feel unworthy and full of shame. Let's look at the Last Supper before Jesus' death. This is what Jesus says to Peter, Mark 14. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others did the same. Second fear today is this, the fear of failure. I'm concerned today that many of us simply don't step out in faith because we're afraid to fail. And if we've stepped out in the past and it didn't turn out the way that we thought it should, 
that there was no way we're going to step out again. We simply just don't want to try. You see, Peter did end up denying Jesus that night. And in his response to failing him, he returned to what he knew. He returned to his pre-Jesus life. His life where he felt comfortable. The life he knew he could trust. The life that maybe wouldn't remind him of his failures. The life where most likely no one would be calling him out or up to anything more. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus restores those who have failed him. Stop running, stop hiding, stop going back to the way things were before you met him. Because mercy is not just something Jesus does, it is the pure essence of who he is. Mercy is Jesus. Failure is the very thing that puts Christ's mercy on the greatest display. If we didn't fail, we wouldn't need him to pick us back up. You see, Jesus reinstated Peter. He reinstated Peter to his calling. So after the resurrection, Jesus goes back to the Sea of Galilee to find Peter and a few of the other disciples fishing. He goes out to the shore and he calls for the disciples to come into the shore. I find it ironic that this time on the Sea of Galilee, Peter didn't walk, he jumped out of the boat and he ran to Jesus on the shoreline. Jesus served them breakfast and then he has a conversation between him and Peter. John chapter 21, he says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, as if to get his attention, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. I find it interesting that three times Jesus was denied by Peter. But three times Jesus allows Peter to affirm his love for him. Peter would no longer be a fisher of fish, but he would be a shepherd of sheep. In spite of his failure, Jesus reinstates Peter to his purpose. And this is true for you and for me as well. In spite of our failures, Jesus' mercy wants to cover you today and reinstate you into the purpose that he has on your life. Proverbs 24, 16, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Never give up. Never give up. Failure is only opportunity to make Jesus' name great. But it's going to take work because fear is a feeling. So we're going to have to push back. We're going to have to push against that feeling of fear. When God calls us to maybe step out into something we've tried before and felt like we failed at. Go back to him. Don't run from him. Return to him and let him reinstate you into your purpose. You know, I'm standing here today because I pushed back on the fear of failure. Growing up, I spent most of my time behind a piano, sitting on a piano bench. 
I took hours and hours of lessons preparing for recitals and for concerts. In college, I would go on to take vocal lessons and, and add to the musical gifts and talent that God had given to me and I had worked really hard at. So I knew the calling of God on my life was that I would do full-time music ministry in some form or fashion. When my husband and I started this church, he would preach and I, along with another close friend, we would lead worship and we would do that for several years. And then a few years in, I'd say around year five, year six, my husband came to me one Sunday after church and he said, I want you to preach for Mother's Day this year. And being the sweet, gentle wife that I am, I looked him in the face and I said, no. <laughs> I am not doing that. That is not what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do. I'm gonna sing and play the piano. In fact, I will sing a special for you on Mother's Day. As you give the message, I will come out and I will sing this grand worship ballad and it will be amazing and we'll do that. And he said, no. That's not what we're gonna do. And I will tell you, I went kicking and I went screaming. And after that Mother's Day message that felt like five minutes long, I ran off the stage to the back of the auditorium and me in a trash can had a conversation. <laughs> but here's the deal. My husband saw something in me that I could not see in myself. There was something inside of me that I couldn't see because I was too scared. I knew what I was good at. I knew what I was comfortable with. That was my lane. But he was like, no, no. There's something asleep in you that needs to wake up. And I want to say to you today that there are gifts and there are talents inside of you that have been lying dormant for such a long time. And today is the day that that is going to wake up in your life. It needs to wake up. There's too great a mission. There's too great a purpose for you to sit on it and not bring it out into the world. But it's going to take work. It's going to take work on your part. It's going to take acknowledgement and it's gonna take some work. You see, our God specializes in our failures and uses them for his glory. So allow that feel of failure to motivate you and not to paralyze you. Let it motivate you into that which he's called you to. In the midst of his failure, Peter ultimately allowed Jesus back into his destiny. I pray today, if you felt like a failure, shake it off, let it go, and let Jesus back into your life. The final character this morning is Esther. Esther is one of my favorite characters of the Bible. Maybe because she was a queen, I don't know. But Esther was crowned queen, and at this time, a decree had been sent out in the kingdom that she was queen of, the kingdom of Xerxes. A decree had been sent out that all the Jewish people were to be annihilated. Now, Esther was actually chosen to be queen. She was a Jewish girl herself. And she caught word of this decree, and she knew she needed to go to the king and talk to him about it. But here was the fear issue. Back then, you did not go to a king unless you were summoned by him. You did not enter into his presence. You did not speak to him unless you were invited. This is why it's the book of Esther and not the book of Tammy. Because I'm not quite sure I could have followed those rules. 
But Queen Esther was honoring. But she knew if she went before the king without being asked, she could potentially be put to death. But she also knew if she did not go before the king and face what she didn't know would happen, her friends and her family would also be put to death. Esther had a godly cousin named Mordecai. Mordecai knew the power that Esther had. And so he wrote a letter to her. That letter got to the palace and Esther read it. I'm gonna read it to you from God's word. Esther chapter four, it says this. Mordecai says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, it will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. It was a Kairos moment for Esther. This was her moment to make a decision. The final fear today is the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown. You see, you can feel afraid without allowing fear to control you, even when you don't know the outcome. You know, Esther ultimately would face her fear. She went before the king. The king spared her life, and the king also spared the lives of those Jewish people. Her life was changed, and so was the lives of her family and friends outside the gate. This time last year on Mother's Day, we, we filled you in on the fact that we were beginning the adoption process. In August of last year, we finished the paperwork and the training and the classes and all of that. And in August of last year, we began the waiting process. Now, we were told it would be two to three years, most likely, before a child would be placed in our home because we had biological children already. So we accepted that and, and figured it, it would take some time. Well, October 31st, two months later, we got a phone call that a birth mom had chosen us. A birth mom had chosen our family for her son. On this Mother's Day, I want to give honor to her. I want to give honor to this beautiful, precious birth mom who I can only imagine 18 months ago found herself in a situation that brought great fear into her life. But she chose life for this child. And not only that, but she chose a life that she felt maybe would be better for him by being placed in our home. She is the hero of this story. So October 31st, we were chosen. Baby Jonas wasn't due until November 30th. November 13th, we get a phone call at lunch that baby Jonas had been born November 8th and he was coming to our house that night. We had eight hours to prepare for another human being to keep alive forever. Our baby Abigail, who was two at the time, she no longer was the baby anymore. He came into our house at four days old and he never left. A few weeks ago, we got his official birth certificate and he is Jonas Joseph Floyd. He's always been ours, but now the government can say that he is too, whatever, semantics. But um, there was a lot in that process and in that journey. There's a lot of unknown in the, in the world of adoption, but we believe so strongly that adoption is a calling. And for some of you, maybe God is not calling you to bring a child into your home, but you are absolutely called to care in the world of adoption. Caring through making others aware of what it is 
caring by maybe financially giving to a family that is trying to raise money to bring a child into their home. Caring by maybe taking some of the other kids when a new adopted child is placed into a home. Caring by maybe sending the meal or a gift card, whatever it may be. But it was, it was a very long journey of emotionally for over 12 months preparing our hearts for the unknown, not knowing what was to come. But here's the deal, when we face our unknowns, more often than not, it is not about us. It was not about me. It was not about Esther. That moment of unknown for her was about the people that she would save and the generations to come that she would save. And I wanna say to you this morning that your fear of the unknown, that which is keeping you from stepping out, may be the very thing that God has placed in front of you to bring rescue to the hearts and the lives of those in your space. So Jonas is ours and it is Mother's Day, so I thought maybe you'd like to meet him. Do you wanna meet him? You wanna see him? Last service, he broke my mic. He broke my microphone. Where is he? He's not coming. He must be upset. I'm so sorry. I teased you. I said if he was upset not to bring him out because I don't want him to cry. But this was when he came to our house. This was when he came on our doorstep like a stork. How fun was that? And then this is him now. Oh, my gosh. Look at him. Isn't he pretty? He is the sweetest thing. He has squinty eyes like his mommy. He is the greatest love and the greatest yes that we have ever made. I'm afraid today that some of us are so stuck in the bondage of fear that we are refusing to let God use us in mighty, mighty ways. You see, none of this is easy. It's gonna take work and it's gonna take some awareness, but with God's help, you can do it. And honestly, at the root of fear, it's simply a lack of trust. If you trusted, you might not be afraid. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in him even when you don't understand. He's not gonna make it complicated for you. He's gonna create a path for you. I will say when the Lord laid adoption on our hearts, we said, Jesus, this is scary. There's a lot of unknowns, but this is what we're gonna do as a family. We're gonna take it a step at a time. So we took it a step at a time and every step of the way, God confirmed that yes, this was the plan that he had for us. Here's some practical fears that maybe you're sensing right now in your spirit. Maybe it's a fear of failing that keeps you from leading a small group or applying for that job. Maybe it's fear of man that keeps you from inviting your friend to church or for you students. Maybe it's fear of what your classmates are gonna think that keeps you from inviting them to the movement experience. Maybe it's a fear of flying that keeps you from that mission trip. Every time it's mentioned, your heart races and you know it's time to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Maybe it's the fear of what ifs that keeps you from finding childcare for your kiddos so you and your spouse can go on a date. Your kids need a break from you. <laughs> you need a break from your kids. 
You need to work on that relationship, that covenant relationship that you've made with your spouse. And you need to allow people in your life to care for you. You know, if you say, I don't have great people around me, get connected into a small group. Don't get connected into a small group to find childcare. Don't make that your motive. But, but find yourself in a group of people that you can do life with and that you can love. And you may just find that there are some people that want to care for your kids so that you can care for your marriage. You see, that day in the rainforest and in the jungles of Mexico, there was really no reason for me to be afraid. There was a guide with me every step of the way, and I had on a safety harness. So even if I did fall from the high wire, I wasn't gonna fall to my death. It might hurt a little bit. It might sting a little bit. It might have left a bruise or a scar, but it wasn't gonna lead to my ending. And I wanna say that to you today, that your God is your guide. He's with you every step of the way. He is your safety harness. He will not let you fall. He will not let you fall. Stay close to him. Stay close to his word. Don't do things outside of his word. God does not contradict his word. So if you feel like God is calling you to leave your spouse, that is not what I'm saying. That is very contrary to the word of God. You work at it. You fight for it. You fight for your family. But if there are things that you know the Holy Spirit is pursuing you to do, I pray today that you will not let fear keep you back from that. Because you don't have time for fear in your life anymore. There's too much at stake, not only for you, but for the thousands of others that God wants to affect through you. Will you pray with me today? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to take a minute and reflect and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your attention those areas in your life that you are struggling when it comes to fear. Those areas in your life without you knowing it that actually you're not stepping out because you're afraid. I'm asking right now that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you so that you can let it go this morning. You can break that chain of fear in your life. If you feel like I'm speaking to you today with no one looking around, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and just say, that's me. That's me, I see your hands. I'm dealing with some fear in my life that is beginning to feel crippling and paralyzing and I'm done with it. I'm gonna ask you to keep your hand raised just as a sign of surrender. And I'm gonna ask that you pray in faith, because I'm gonna pray in faith. And we're gonna believe together that today, that chain of fear in your life is gonna be broken. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful for you. Lord, we're so glad that your perfect love casts out all fear, God, and you are perfect love. So because of that, we can trust and know that fear no longer has to have a hold or a grip on our lives, God. Lord, this morning I just pray over every person that has their hand raised, Lord. I pray that you would give them a confidence. When that fear raises its ugly head again, God, that you would give them a confidence to cut it off, to say it's no longer welcome in your territory, that it will no longer have effect on them in their lives. Jesus, I pray for a spirit of boldness and strength to rise. Lord, and we just pray that you would bring greatness because of the fears that we are choosing today to set aside. We know you have great plans for us. 
great plans to prosper us and not to harm us. We cling to that truth today. We receive it and we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.